Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we really find out what makes them tick. My name's Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? Our next guest was born with no rights to an education, employment, healthcare or freedom of movement. He faced regular discrimination from his government and other citizens. Raised by a single mother, he lived the first 28 years of his life as an illegal alien in Lebanon, and the name given to individuals like this is stateless. A stateless person is not recognised as a citizen by any country. But to go from stateless to the state of New South Wales is a journey full of stories. Let's hear some of them now as we welcome our next guest, Fadi Shalouhoy. Thank you. Thank you for this introduction. First question, is stateless anything like clueless? Because that's a term that Carson and I are very familiar with. <laughs> to be fair, from a legal perspective, it is <laughs> because you don't know anything about yourself legally and you don't know where, to where, where you're standing. So basically, yeah. <laughs> you're trying to be funny there, Michael, but that's actually a, a true representation because, it, as you said, it, it is clueless. You have no clue where you actually exist on the planet. Yeah, and I didn't know I was stateless until I was... I think 21 or 22. Before that, I just knew I was illegal and I had no, no papers. So take us back, Fadi, to Lebanon as, as a boy. Tell us your story briefly. Well, I was actually born in the wrong place at the wrong time. I know this is a cliche, but it works there to a treat. And I was born to a, a Syrian father and a Lebanese mother. And my father left without registering me. And in Lebanon, unfortunately, until today, women don't have the right to register their children. Only men can. So basically, my father wouldn't register me and my mother couldn't register me. I was born stateless and I'm still stateless until today. What does that mean, being stateless, growing up in Lebanon? Being basically an alien. You had no rights. If you walk up in the streets of Lebanon and shot me, you won't go to jail. Because Lebanon never signed any UN mandates on statelessness. So Lebanon had no legal obligation or international obligation to take care of people like me. Your Syrian father wouldn't register you. Why was that? Uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, six months after I was born, he left and he didn't want anything to do with me or my mother. And there is no law that forces the father to register their children, unfortunately. If they decide for some reason they don't want to, that's the way that it is. So does being stateless mean you can't get an education, you can't get health care and so forth? Nothing. I didn't even have a last name. I was referred to by as Fadi X. And I had no access to education, no health care, no passport, no driver's license. I couldn't go anywhere without the fear of being detained on a roadblock or a police checkpoint. But I do know that you did get an education through the great support, firstly, from your mum because of her situation. Tell us that. Uh, I was coming of, uh, of age and I needed to go to school and no school would have me. Right. I had no birth certificate, nothing. I was illegal. But my mother was the cleaner at a local Catholic school, one of the best in the country. So she just approached the nuns and said, listen, all I want for my son is for him to learn how to read and write, just for him to have a, you know, a fighting chance in this life. And they accepted, but uh, they had one condition. I was not allowed to be seen at the school premise when a public inspector would show up because they would get into trouble. Wow. So they were taking a risk to look after you. Yes, they did a huge risk. They risked 
the education of almost 700 other students because they thought the right thing to do was to give this stateless boy an education. But I imagine you weren't the only stateless person growing up at, in your space at that time. No. In Lebanon, I think there, and I might be mistaken, there's roughly around 300,000 stateless people. However, what makes me unique is the fact that I got that education. That doesn't happen. Normally, stateless people are without any education. They drop out early. They go into a life of crime. They end up homeless. But, you know, with that lucky encounter that my mom was working at a school and granted me that education made me uh, uh, different from the others. Let's stay on your mum for a moment. I believe there was a very impactful moment when you asked for some money around age 13. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those moments that really define your life. And this is when I first understood that I'm not just a normal child like everyone else and I don't have a normal life. Uh, I just wanted some money to play at the local arcade. And all my friends, obviously, who had working fathers and working mothers potentially could play there all the weekend without even worrying about money, right? And I could only play like half an hour throughout the weekend. So I was annoyed. So I went home being 13 and an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Started crying and asking for more money. And when my mother said no, I got extremely annoyed with her. And this is when she dragged me. And she was a powerful woman, my mother. She dragged me all the way to the kitchen. She opens the kitchen. She opens the fridge door and she shoved my head in it. And she says, what do you see there? And I didn't understand the question. Like, what do you mean? So I start naming random objects, you know, bread, milk, uh, water. And she said, well, you see this? This is the only thing I can give you. Your friends have fathers. You don't have one. I don't have a husband. I can give you clothes on your back and food on the table. Everything else you want in life, you need to go out there and work for it. And I learned that lesson at the age of 13. What was the first work that you did then to get your own money? (laughs) I helped a local butcher. I used to wake up on 5 a.m. in the morning and go to the butcher. And he would do all the, obviously, heavy lifting. I would just sort out some food, deliver some of the fresh meat around the village on my bicycle. So things like that. What do you think that stateless life, that living as an alien, as you say, what strength did that give you as an individual? To survive. You know, it's it's, it's ex- extremely different than any other life. And honestly, sometimes I fail to describe it. And just to give a few examples, when I used to start going to high school or working part-time jobs, like we would wake up my mother and I in the morning and my mother would pray, not for me to, you know, have a good day at work or to meet some friends or to learn something new. We would pray that I won't get detained because that's my day wasted. Uh, When I used to get detained on a roadblock, the only thing I could do was to get news to my mother where I was detained. And then she would scramble, pick up any piece of paper she could have and hitchhike her way to that roadblock and plead and cry and beg them to let me go for hours on end. And that was a daily fear of me ever since I was 15 years old until I left it on. Yeah. And, and so if you, if you were detained, and obviously they, they let you go, but yeah. they were detaining you because you, were, you effectively had no papers. Is that right? Several reasons. Well, Lebanon is highly volatile from a security perspective. You know, you had radical terrorist groups, refugees in the millions. So there's always this high alert from a security perspective. And so they would look at me, right? And they would see my student card, which said, first name Fadi, ex, uh, father name unknown, nationality unknown, date of birth unknown, and 
they'd freak out. What is Sounds this? dodgy. Exactly. And the Lebanese government never educated the soldiers on what statelessness is because oh. obviously they didn't sign any mandate regarding us, right? And so they would look at that. Well, that sounds dodgy. Put me on the side. Who are you? Why are you faking your identification? What are you trying to hide? You know, so on and so forth. As a stateless person, you're one of how many do they say in the world? 10 to 12 million. And is there a, like an online community of them? Unfortunately, no, because what you're looking at, it's, it's an anomaly. I am an anomaly. Like stateless people don't work with Accenture as a consultant, don't do podcasts. They don't have access to education. Most of them by the age of five or six are done for, or they are on the streets, they are recruited by, recruited by terrorist organizations, homeless, dead. It's, it's a very grim reality. But they weren't born like that. They were born stateless, but they weren't born as those kind of characters. No, no. How, how, come, how come you turn out to be the good looking guy you are? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'll have to thank my mother for my good looks, but uh, no, honestly, it's, I was raised not by, by uh, not just by my mother. I was raised by three wonderful women. After my father left, it was my mother, my aunt, and my grandmother. And they offered me a very loving home. Like, honestly, despite everything, I had three women looking after me, nurturing me, and loving me every single day. And on top of that, we, I was lucky enough, because of my mother was the cleaner at the Catholic school, I had access to high-quality education all through, throughout my first 14, 15 years of life. So those two combined made me the anomaly or the exception in terms of being a stateless person with an education and a future. Given the circumstances that you were living in, where did you get your hope for the future? I mean, you, you knew that, um, that really at that stage in your life, there wasn't a lot of hope. So how did you live each day? Uh, it was difficulty. But there are, my mother was my main source of hope, to be honest. And if, if my mother had a LinkedIn page, it would say ultimate optimist. <laughs> just right. to give you a small example is we used to wake up around 4 30 in the morning when she because she had uh, breast cancer so i used to take her to chemotherapy sessions and obviously I, we didn't have a car so we had to wake up 4 30 in the morning uh, grab two different buses old buses no air conditioner nothing to make it to hospital where she had to undergo chemotherapy session for like four or five hours and then grab those two buses back home and after that long hellish day where I, me in my 20s, I would be dead at the end. Like, I just wanted that day to be over. We walk through the door and my mother would say, can you grab me a glass of water? And I'll give her a glass of water. And after that hellish day, she would drink it and say, Allah," which translates to thank God for everything. And she would say that and I would go nuts. And how can you say that? After all of this, she would thank God for a glass of water after going through that nightmarish day. And if you grow up with someone is that optimist and it doesn't rub off of you? Well, there's something wrong, right? Wow. Is, is your mother still with us today? Unfortunately, no. Uh, she passed away in 2016. And her passing away and the circumstances in which she passed away was the catalyst for me to try and find a solution for my statelessness outside of Lebanon. So can we focus on that now? We've only got limited time and you've painted such a picture of your growing up as a child and then a young adult. But let's take us to the time now when you said enough's enough, I need to change my life. Yeah, my mother died, well, not directly because I was stateless, but me being stateless didn't help. She suffered a heart attack and I had no car because I had no driver's license, so I couldn't drive her to the hospital. I had no insurance. And in Lebanon, the government doesn't provide ambulances if you had private healthcare, then your insurance will provide you the private ambulance. We didn't have access to that. The only thing I could have access to 
was the free ambulances provided by the Red Cross, but they were limited. And uh, if they are all you know, in active duty, you have to wait until one of them is available so they could dispatch it. It took more than 20 minutes for an ambulance to be available to come to our rescue. And by the time it arrived, it was too late. My mother died between my arms. Mm. And that really you know, woke me up from that illusion that I could live as a stateless person happily, happily ever after in Lebanon. And I made a decision that, you know, I was born status in Lebanon, then that's not my fault. But if I die in Lebanon, well, that's on me. You say in your keynotes that you send out a whole lot of um, calls for help, I guess, to people. And they always came back with, well, here's a bit of charity. Here's a bit of this. Here's a bit of that. But there was one response that turned a question upside down. Tell us about that. Yeah, exactly. And all of these NGOs just wanted to give me food rations or a place to sleep during the night, but that was just the symptoms. I was looking for someone to help me deal with the fundamental problem, which is statelessness. And one response was like, do you have any experience? Do you speak any foreign languages? Do you have any skills? Uh, so what? how can you help us? And I'm like, hold on, did I apply for a job here? Who are these guys? And those people were an NGO called Talent Beyond Boundaries. And their main focus is to help skilled refugees who are stuck in the Middle East migrate and find uh, employment with international employers in Australia, the UK, Canada, and many other countries. And so they did connect you with an Australian company? Yeah, they connect me with Accenture Australia. Tell us about that time when you arrived at Sydney Airport and particularly the nervousness with this. Finally, you had some paperwork for the first time in your life, some credentials. How did that go? It was amazing because it was more than a year journey, you know, and fair enough for Talent Beyond Boundaries and for Accenture, they looked at my situation. Even after I passed the interview and I had a job offer, there was this monumental task. How do you legally fly someone who doesn't even have a birth certificate from Lebanon to Australia? How do you get him a visa? How do you get him on a plane, right? And it took more than a year to figure that out. And after, after we, fa- we finally solved the puzzle, so to speak, and I got on that plane, it was surreal. I, was, I couldn't even go to sleep. It was a 23-hour flight. I was afraid if I blink, I'll miss it. <laughs> so that would have been the first plane you would have ever been on then. That's right? true, yeah. How yeah, did so it start? How did a hell, customs... of, hell of a first trip. <laughs> yeah. How did customs greet you? The, the minute I got out of Lebanon, I faced zero problems. In transit in Abu Dhabi, welcome to Abu Dhabi. Transit in Australia, welcome to Australia. Nothing. It was a dream come true. And how did that make you feel? I felt like a human being for the first time in my life. I approached a roadblock or like a security or authority figure. And I wasn't afraid that the interaction is going to end up with me being detained in a prison cell. And it felt so liberating. Fantastic. Are you a citizen now of Australia? Unfortunately, not yet, but uh, I'm on the right path. So currently I am a temporary resident. I am here on a 482 long-term skill shortage visa. And with Accenture, hopefully, I am uh, aiming to get my permanent residency. And after that, I need to be at least four years in Australia, one of them as a PR, to be eligible to apply for citizenship. But at least there is a legal pathway, and I am on it. And what role did Accenture give you? I'm a management consultant. Fantastic. Okay, so that's the backstory of Fadi. What happened in your life to then move you to the speaking stage where you're telling us this story and what we may learn from it, like how to have hope in such a situation? Because I was on the receiving end, Michael, and I used to be you know, hopeless and depressed and I was in a bad place. And a lot of those motivational speakers came to my aid, especially when everything was falling down 
all around me. And, you know, people like the legendary Les Brown, like Eric Thomas, I used to watch their speaker uh, speaks uh, or watch some of their videos and it used to inspire me. And I'm like, you know that, you know what, one day I'm going to be that to someone else because I know how valuable and important that is and how it could, it could change someone's life. And this was basically the catalyst that pushed me into going into this business. You mentioned, um, Fadi, you were, you were thrust right into the speaking uh, early on in your arrival in Australia. And tell us about that first talk. Yeah, because when I first came here, uh, it was actually quite a big achievement because I was the first stateless person to be issued a skill shortage visa. Uh, and so it was obviously a big thing. And there was the UN refugee breakfast happening in 2019. So it was a couple of months after I landed and I was approached and said, oh, do you want to share your story and be on, uh, on our panel? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> so it was kind of a baptism by fire, but I enjoyed it. I loved it. And that moment when I went on that stage, I knew that this is something I want to do uh, because I enjoyed it. I was passionate about it. And my event there sparked a lot of other events. Uh, I worked with World Vision. I spoke in a lot of schools to help with their fundraising campaign that led to other events as well. And uh, here I am today. You said you're inspired by other speakers that you saw. Do you feel that you've touched and perhaps changed the lives of people who have heard your story? I hope so. This is, this is ultimately why I'm doing this. But, you know, a lot of the people come to me after the event and you can see the inspiration in their eyes. They, like, they hug me, like random people hug me. Oh, thank you for sharing your story. I had one mother and said, do you have a recording of this anyway? I want to go back home and show it to my kids just so they understand how much of a good life they are having. So the feedback I've been getting after the event has been amazing. And that really is why I am doing this. You've got a number of things that you want audiences to learn when they've heard you, um, uh, heard you speak. Um, one of them, which I find interesting, is life is a bully and it won't back down until you stand up to it. Can you just elaborate what you mean by that? Yeah, it's, this is something I, I kind of figure out throughout my, my years of struggle is that if you give up to life, you know, it's just going to keep kicking you as long as you're down. But once you stand up to it again and again and again and again, eventually it's going to look at you and say, oh, hold on, this guy's a bit of a stubborn. It's, he's no fun. He keeps standing up. I'm going to go bully someone else. And eventually life will leave you alone. And well, at least that's what happened with me. And that's what I'm hoping to get across to the audience is no matter how hard it gets, keep standing up and eventually life is going to look somewhere else and it's going to be a better situation. Someone listening who may think that they have an audience that would benefit from the Fadi story, what do you offer them in terms of keynotes and so forth? I offer them uh, definitely a keynote. Uh, it's an interactive keynote. I ask questions. Uh, I get the audience involved with, uh, with my story, I share a lot of pictures and I take them on this journey that spanned more than 28 years since the day I was born until I eventually landed in Australia. And I think the key message they can take is, in addition to being inspired, is that bit of extra perseverance, which is extremely needed today. Like, especially with everything going on around us, with COVID, with, with jobs getting lost, people feeling that they're about to lose everything on any given day. It's important to have faith and to have hope that tomorrow is going to be better. Fadi, that's brought us to the end of our time, but it's fantastic meeting you and listening to that hope and perseverance that you clearly showed as a young boy, very much influenced by your mum. You were born into circumstances that, that no one would want, and many, as you said, fall by the wayside. But there was something different about Fadi, and it's fantastic that you have struggled through it 
and come to Australia and working fantastically in Australia, but also open to spread your message. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure. And if you think Fadi's very, very unique and inspirational story will resonate with one of your audiences, please go to Fadi Shaloi, and that is F-A-D-I-C-H-A-L-O-U-H-Y.com. That was our next guest is with Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope. To hear more of our guests, you can find us on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.